I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, Autumn and I are going to catch up on this week's activities. We're also going to talk about the importance of music during this pandemic. And in our deeper dive section, we're going to talk about Earth Day as it uh, was commemorated this past week. And then you're not, and trust me when I say this, you're not going to want to miss an interview with Nashville recording artist, singer-songwriter Kate Campbell. Autumn, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. It's a little stormy here in Oklahoma. I don't know if the weather people understood that we wanted to cancel tornado season because we're also dealing with a pandemic and it's too much. Yeah, it uh, is certainly stormy looking outside. In fact, uh, I think some storms are moving out from the west uh, here into the Oklahoma City metro area and expecting golf ball size hell. For those uh, listeners who live in other places of the country that don't experience these kind of spring storms, it gets a little dicey here in Oklahoma in Tornado Alley. It does, and it's a little tricky because a lot of uh, the spaces in Norman that are public shelters are actually locked uh, because they don't want people congregating because of the pandemic. So, um, you know, our friends who live in housing that maybe isn't quite as permanent and safe have really been on my heart lately, and I'm just, you know, I don't really know what they do. We're in completely uncharted territory once again in 2020. Yeah, 2020 has been quite the year so far. In fact, uh, you know, mentioning uh, those shelters, public shelters uh, for storm areas, I think it was a couple of weeks ago down in Alabama, uh, storms moved through uh, Mississippi and Alabama, actually. And uh, they were encouraging people to stay at home if they needed to. But if they needed to go to a shelter, they were opening some of the shelters, but they had to maintain social distancing within a shelter, which is almost impossible so uh, certainly strange days we, we live in. Uh, well, today we want to talk a little bit about music. We're so excited about the interview coming up later in the pod with Nashville uh-huh. recording artist Kate Campbell. It's so, our first live music on the podcast. That's she's right. Going to sing a song for us. Yeah, she's going to, uh, she selected a song by John Prine, uh, who we lost a few weeks ago, unfortunately, uh, his death. Uh, but uh, she had a chance to work with uh, John uh, on several occasions, and she's going to sing one of his songs for us here that uh, we're really, really uh, looking forward to, so you don't want to miss that. So I know you're a big music buff, Autumn. You love all kinds of music, so I'm just going to go ahead and just leap into the deep end. How many times did you watch Phantom of the Opera this week? Oh, my gosh, three. Um, not not <laughs> complete, you know, not watching the complete ones start to finish because it was a weekend and the kids were around. Um, but I love Phantom. It was uh, the first musical that I ever saw live. I saw it in Houston at the Hobby Center. And I don't know if it's because it was my first musical or if it really is just that much of an epic show, but it just has a, a special place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was the 25th anniversary of uh, of the musical premiering at the West End. Uh, I don't know if it was at the West End or not, but they, the recording was at the Royal Albert Hall uh, in yeah. London. And so it was a great performance, uh, wonderfully uh, done. Andrew Lloyd Webber is always a master uh, yeah. in his writing. So I knew you'd watch it. I knew you'd watch it more than once. So, so how, how have you been, how have you been listening to music? How's music been 
kind of a, a mechanism for you uh, during this pandemic? Because we're hearing story after story. In fact, I was doing a little research before uh, our recording today and just talked about the importance of music during this pandemic. And, you know, it kind of began in Italy. Remember we us talking, in fact, we posted about it, I think, at Good Faith Media. I wrote an article about the importance of music and the Italians coming together uh, in northern Italy to sing uh, at their balconies at night just to, to, to connect to one another. And we've seen that all across Europe and even in the United States. In fact, more recently in Barcelona, there was a young man, a pianist, uh, went out on his balcony and started playing a beautiful, beautiful song. And a saxophonist uh, in another building joined in. It was just a, a lovely moment. And, of course, uh, all the buildings started listening and people cheering from their balconies as well. And then also the recording artists uh, are doing live concerts uh, for people to help them uh, pass the time, but also uh, to entertain and encourage them through this pandemic. So how are you letting music uh, into your life during this pandemic? Yeah, so we we have lots of music going on in our house. Our kids are music lovers, um, play multiple instruments, and we really use music to set the environment in different spaces and to help us transition. I listen to music while I'm working, unless I'm editing one of these podcasts, yeah, of sure. course, because yeah. you can't listen to music while you're editing. But when I'm doing basically anything else, I have you know Spotify going um, or you know radio, something going on. And then when I move into our more public spaces after work and I'm helping to make dinner or wrangle children, we, we turn music on and the difference between having, you know, silence and the sound of kids screaming and music and the sound of kids screaming really does define the environment a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what our favorite things to do even before this pandemic started, but even more so during the pandemic is uh, when we're cooking dinner at night, uh, we've got a little speaker there in the, in the kitchen and we play music and, and cook and talk and just uh, really enjoy it. We're kind of a jazz kind of family. We enjoy all kinds of jazz. And so we have our different uh, Spotify playlists that uh, we, we go through. Uh, mostly we, we enjoy uh, New Orleans kind of jazz or uh, kind of that swing music from World War II. We've been utilizing our, our speaker in the kitchen quite often recently. It's just uh, been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then on a rainy day like this, I've got my rainy day jazz that I uh, pop in. You know, I'm not a big jazz fan. It's a little too open-ended for me. I mm-hmm. need a little bit more. I, I like edges in my music. Mm-hmm. And so I can never really anticipate where jazz is going. And so as, you know, I've been in band and then, you know, jazz bands and in music kind right. of my whole life. And so I don't know, there's something about the open-ended parameters of jazz that really is unsettling to me. It's like watching Alice in Wonderland. I'm just a little anxious when yeah. I listen to jazz. Well, that probably speaks a whole lot about my mentality then, because, you know, I'm just kind of open-ended and just kind of go with the flow. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, let's see what today brings. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? So, yeah. uh, well, good. You know, I've, I've also used music as a, a parenting tool because my kids will receive information through a song much better than they will receive it from me barking at them. And uh, a couple of years ago, we took a road trip to Florida um, with four children and um, it was, it was an adventure for sure. And there are still songs that will pop on our playlist and we'll be like, Oh my gosh, we listened to this our first morning in Baton Rouge, or we listened to this on the way to the beach. And we just have these soundtracks to our lives. And 
on that trip, I was like, okay, we're not going to yell at the kids. That's like, we're going to work really hard. And, and yelling a lot of times in our house isn't coming from a place of anger. It's coming from just like the sheer necessity to talk over the din mm-hmm. that's going on. Mm-hmm. But it does just sort of elevate the tension in our house. And so we would sing songs like, don't hit your sister. Yes, that sister. No, not that one. <laughs> and, and it just works better than yelling. And they'll listen because it's a song. That is a much better story than I had uh, going on in my head because I thought, you know, the way you and Josh use music would be, be like you walk into a room and they're doing something wrong and the Darth Vader theme comes on. Dun, 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 dun. There's probably some of that too. <laughs> oh. You know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, how music, you know, triggers a memory. You know, <laughs> this is really going to be telling. When I, anytime I hear Maroon 5 on the radio, I think about taking the boys to school when they were growing up because they were on the local radio uh, station at the time. And for some reason they played, you know, one of two of their songs, it seemed for a couple of years. uh, And it always happened as I was taking them to the school. And it was a good memory for me. Well, speaking of music, you want to stay tuned for our interview with uh, singer songwriter, Kate Campbell in our third segment, but coming up next, we're going to take a deeper dive because this week was earth day. Are you looking for a new way to grow your faith? Nurturing Faith is offering five of their best-selling devotionals for only $12 for Good Faith weekly listeners. Go to nurturingfaith.net to find hope from Carol Bozeman Taylor, John R. Roebuck, Blake McKinney, Michael L. Ruffin, and Merrill J. Davies. The books are all available in the bookstore section of the Nurturing Faith website. And now, back to Mitch and Autumn. On this week's Deeper Dive, we're going to talk about Earth Day. This past Wednesday was Earth Day all around the world. People commemorating uh, the importance of ecological justice and our place in this world as stewards of uh, the environment. And uh, Autumn, it was I know uh, we're stuck in uh, indoors a lot these days, but uh, do, you, do you and your family observe Earth Day in any means? You know, we've been talking with our kids um, about conservationism. Actually, Mm -hmm. it's a word I taught Levy recently, which has been kind of fun. He is very into nature. He, um, we found that the more we can get them outside, the better they are. It just changes their, their whole countenance to get outside. And we are very, very lucky to live in a neighborhood where we have creeks and we have hills and we have trees and woods. And so we've been getting out and looking at uh, some of the deer tracks and some of the raccoon tracks from sort of the wooded area down to this pond area. You know, and on Earth Day is always a great opportunity to examine how, you know, we live, uh, how we are engaging at engaging the world as good stewards. Uh, God put us on this earth to be good stewards of the earth. Uh, we have a great responsibility to be caretakers for the world. It is an incredible resource. It's the only resource that we have. And if we are not responsible and taking care of it, then it's going to go away. And uh, Moltman is the theologian that uh, I've cited before on the, the program talking about the, thinking of the world as a living organism. God created the the world, created the earth. And because he created the earth, it is a living, breathing organism. And when any living, breathing organism is 
uh, or when any living, breathing organism feels it's in danger of being attacked, then it's going to defend itself. And the only tools the earth has to defend itself is its own resources, and that is through storms, through earthquakes, through uh, ways that it's, you know, it, it, it identifies what's attacking it and then tries to, um, you know, subvert that attack. And so, so it's a very interesting theory to think about. Uh, speaking of one of those who take it very seriously, at ethicsdaily.com this week, we have a series of columns talking about the importance of ecological, uh, ecological justice. One of those uh, it was written by uh, Beale Memorial Baptist Church pastor in Tappahannock, Virginia, uh, Dr. Jonathan Davis. And Dr. Davis talks about how his church um, last year put solar panels uh, on top of their building and what that has done not only for them economically, but uh, how it's helped reduce their, co- their carbon footprint in uh, Virginia. And, uh, for example, I mean, he was saying that uh, over a 12-month period since the, since installing the solar panels, their electric bill went from a little over $13,000 annually to $5,600 in this past year, uh, which wow. is remarkable savings. But just think about the, uh, the, the benefit that uh, using solar energy has for the environment as well. Do you know of anybody, you know, any churches, any uh, businesses uh, that have made the switch? You know, I only know sort of people sort of that have used it on their homes. I know there's been some pushback around here. HOAs have been really sticky about them. Mm -hmm. And there has been pushback. That's something that I think we have to deal with because of where we live. There is pushback from people who have, a vested interest in not having renewable energy sort of have it have its place. We've watched this week as uh, oil prices have just tumbled mm-hmm. and we live in a state that is really impacted by that. And the reactions that I've seen have been a mix of people saying, okay, so we have a lot of sunshine and we have a lot of wind in Oklahoma. What can we do about this? Um, and then just a lot of people just chewing their nails and saying, we've got to wait for oil to come back because it is that boom bust situation right. that people are just accustomed to. Yeah. And you and your family lived abroad uh, for a while over in Switzerland. Um, and uh, I remember you coming back from Switzerland and uh, you were very gracious and took my oldest son with you to live uh, with you guys for about three months over in Lucerne, Switzerland. Yeah, I'm waiting for you to take my oldest son. <laughs> well, where are we going to go? Where, do, where should I take him? I don't care where you take him. Just away. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Lev. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yes. Yeah, so, we, uh, sorry, back no, to Switzerland. Yeah, but uh, you were talking, I remember the stories you guys used to tell about how seriously they took recycling over there. Now, yes. Here in Oklahoma, uh, over the last decade, they've gotten a lot better uh, yeah. at pushing recycling. Norman. Yeah, especially here in Norman. But uh, over in Switzerland, it's a whole different ballgame. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we had to learn. In fact, uh, Cole and Ava, Ava was four, Cole was, I think, 13. Mm-hmm. And they had to help us because, honestly, keeping up with the recycling regime in Switzerland was a full-time job. They would fine you if they found things in your in your trash bins that could have been composted or recycled. And so 
you just had to separate it all out. You had to break down any cardboard. There were specific uh, color-coded glass recycling uh, bins in the park where we would take the kids. And so, what, in fact, one of the kids' favorite thing was to hold the glass bottles over and they would drop it. And it wasn't just a bin. It went down into some sort right. of underground situation. And wow. so you could hear that plunk and just shatter, yeah. which is really satisfying. But you recorded, uh, sorry, you, you recycled batteries, um, plastic bags, any kind of uh, milk bottles, egg cartons, things at the grocery store themselves. But there were like six different places in the city where you'd have to go to recycle different things. We also had to compost. And I remember one specific moment where Ava blew her nose and she was like, mama, I don't know where to put this. (laughs) (laughs) So we had to Google where to put used tissues. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. When we came back, it really made us look at our, um, our trash in a different way. And I think once we learn to look at things through those eyes of, okay, here's how we can treat these different things. We've, we've been more responsible with the way that we get rid of things. And our kids are, are sort of in that same mindset. They love to go through our box of recycling and find ways to reuse things and make all kinds of experiments. And they're like raccoons really. (laughs) You know, as I travel across uh, the country, I'm often asked, um, a series of questions. One of those questions is always, what is the most pressing issue for Christians that you address on a, a routine basis? And I always say the number one issue for us is the environment because the environment affects everything. It affects all other issues. When the environment goes haywire, when the environment begins to uh, produce famines and and uh, and storms and fires, then people are put on the move, and so all of a sudden it affects resources, it affects immigration, it affects human migration, and it is still the most important issue that we face as Christians. It's not one that's talked about a lot unless uh, Earth Day rolls around, but it is something that needs to be engaged and discussed on a routine basis. It is, in my opinion, the most important issue that we are facing in our lifetime because it truly affects everything that we do. And if we do not take our responsibility as caretakers of this world that God has entrusted us with, then we are in trouble. And we need to to take it seriously and to do a better job in fighting for ecological justice, not only on a macro level within legislation and global accords, but also on a daily basis, just like we talked about uh, with solar panels, with uh, recycling, with ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint here in the world. Well, that is our deeper dive for the day, and you'll want to stick around because as we discussed in the first segment, we're going to not only talk about music, but we're going to hear some good music from singer-songwriter Kate Campbell. She's next. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and we are very fortunate to have a very special guest with us today, all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, singer-songwriter Kate Campbell. Kate, welcome to the pod. Well, thank y'all so much. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here. Well, Kate, we've been uh, starting every interview with pretty much the same question, and that is, are you surviving this pandemic? How are you getting along in quarantine? And probably most importantly, you feeling Okay. So far, so good. Knock on wood. 
uh, I uh, have been, uh, you know, lifestyle-wise, it's, it's not that much different for me. It's not that I don't work, but, you know, I'm either driving and singing or then there or lots of times when you're not doing things like that. You know, you're at home. Right. So um, it's kind of, uh, I mean, I'm feeling a little guilty because I keep, there are things I need to be working on musically and I'm kind of doing a little bit here and there and I keep trying to put myself on the schedule <laughs> uh, and I'm not so good at that, you know, uh, watching a lot of TV. You know, Kate, we find ourselves in a very peculiar situation right now uh, under this pandemic and everybody behind closed doors and, uh, music is being used across social media platforms, online concerts uh, to help yeah. uh, right now, really as a, a coping me- mechanism. But music mm-hmm. has also historically been used to interpret culture along the way. It's going to be very interesting to see what singer songwriters create during this very difficult time of our culture. You are very famously known for using your music as a medium to speak into culture, to be prophetic, uh, especially regarding social justice issues. Do you think uh, a situation like we're encountering now uh, gives an opportunity for artists like yourself to help uh, those of us who are not as artistically inclined to cope with this situation and to look for hope in the future through music? I definitely think so. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's again, we, everything goes through phases, but it's not just music, but all the art mm-hmm. um, are a way, not only I think um, that can be soothing or, you know, uh, they're a diversion or for whatever things, but throughout history, it's been the art and all of the different manifestations that we can have dialogue and we can talk about things and we can say things that the news person or the politician or, you know, whatever cannot speak to in the same way. And some people who will hear things through music would never hear, say, a preacher say something. Right. That they might hear a Bob Dylan song and in Dylan or, a, you know, the Beatles or whatever and, and be able to accept something they otherwise may not have been able to have a conversation about internally. So I I think that is the power of art, which is always ongoing, but definitely through the use, like I'm not so great at social media, uh, but through in this time period, for sure, not only my friends, but you know, all over, if you just turn on, there's been powerful uh, social media that I think is, you know, you wonder what it would be like, I mean, truly the dark ages, if we didn't have any of this. Um, and right. it's because it's a worldwide pandemic. So you, you think to yourself, wow, how weird would this be if, if we didn't have these tools that we now have? So yeah, absolutely. I think it's pretty cool. Now, you grew up in the Mississippi Delta. You're the daughter of a Baptist preacher. And a lot of your music centers around that Southern culture, uh, more specifically around the civil rights movement. And you have some just beautiful, poignant, prophetic songs uh, throughout your career. How, how growing up in that culture, uh, that dynamic, how did that influence you uh, as you now write songs and create music? Well, I think, you know, um, well, music, you know, has always been a way for me when I was a little girl to have 
to write and have a conversation with myself and, and my people, you know, however you want to say it, um, that I could have. Uh, and a lot of those things were not talked about any other way. But again, through the arts, uh, you could do that. And for me personally, music was the way. I mean, you don't know that when you're eight years old, your mother's making you take piano. But I was writing, I had a ukulele. I was writing from the time I was little. And I just, I think I thought it was the 1960s. I was a little girl in the 60s. You know, but, you know, all the teenagers and everybody, I thought everybody wrote songs and talked about stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> there was no, you know, I mean, I had all my church music and everything, but it was just, I just, I guess I didn't know any better, uh, right. you know. Uh, but definitely, you know, as you grow older, uh, I began to understand that for me, it was a way that I could have these conversations in particular with you know, I mean, I, I was in church a lot, so there was there was church songs and all that. But you don't know that you're having theological discussions with yourself when you're 12 or whatever. But obviously, I did a lot of church music early on. But again, it was a way for me to talk very early on. Mm-hmm. Some of my first songs about things like race, mm-hmm. uh, poverty, religion. Uh, which are big things, uh, relationship to the land, which are all big Southern themes, uh, you know, in all different literature, whatever. You don't know that when you're younger. But again, I just thought it was, you know, music gave me that way to have that conversation. And the older I got, um, it continued to be that the way for me to talk about stuff. You know, earlier today, I was listening to some of your songs and uh, you mentioned growing up. Uh, and the, the time period that you grew up in, uh, one of the songs I think is "Galaxy 500" uh, on the Two yeah. Nights in Texas album. Uh, yeah. I mean, w- when you go to that car and you're sitting in that car after learning about uh, the King assassination, I mean, I, it was just so vivid for me to, to have this little girl sitting in this car contemplating what was going on in the world. Well, you know, it was so it was so weird. I mean, that was such a vivid image, and I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I had a little brother and sister at that time, and for whatever reason, we were in the car, and it was in those days we were at the in, at the Kmart, and my mother had left us in the car with the radio on mm-hmm. in Nashville, which I spent most of my life in Nashville, right, and sure. we were in that we had moved to Nashville by then. And of course, I knew where Memphis was, though. You know, who mm-hmm. doesn't know Memphis and Elvis and whatever? <laughs> also from being in Mississippi, but. Um, there was something, even though I was so little, and I've kind of always been attuned to stuff that even when I, when I was a child, I don't know why, but that was a very specific memory of hearing that Dr. King was had been shot, and also that people, you know, there was like everybody had to stay in their houses in lots of cities, but particularly even though we weren't in Memphis, we were in Nashville, you know, it was kind of a scary thing. So even a little kid doesn't understand it all, right. but they know. Yeah. So one of the very specific events in my life and music gave me a way to talk about it. You know, and obviously a daughter of a Baptist preacher, uh, you know, church is going to be central or around your life, but there are also other artists. You already mentioned them uh, here in the, the interview today, but one uh, is, is a little bit more poignant now than ever before. And that's John Prine. We unfortunately lost him uh, a yeah. few weeks back, and uh, you had yeah. some you had some interaction with him uh, in your career. Well, it's just kind of um, that's the thing when I kind of 
you know, now, like I said, it's been 25 years since, um, actually, it's been 20, 25 since my very first record came out, that I ended up being in this kind of folk art. People don't really know what to do with me. Americana now, whatever it is, whatever. Right. But, you know, I met people along the way. I mean, I, I, mean, I met Amy Lou. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the way I met John is because, I, you know, I would go out and I would have different players with me sometimes. And as I created more recordings using these great musicians I met along the way, one of them was a guy named Dave Jakes, and uh, he was a bass player. And um, I'm trying to think when Dave first played, what recording it was. Anyway, Dave has played for I don't know how many years, 35 maybe, mm-hmm. with John Prime. And so we got around to doing, you know, my next recording. Dave was playing with me, and uh, he said, you know, uh, you know, would you maybe want John to sing? I think he might want to sing. And my producer, Walt, he couldn't believe it. He goes, do you think John would sing on this tune? I go, well, I just have to ask. And, you know, he's the greatest guy. He lives in, Na- he lives in Nashville. And Dave just called him up, and he said, no problem. Wow. And he just came down to the studio mm-hmm. and we sat there for a couple hours and he sang and I sang and and then I ended up getting to open for him uh, two different shows and uh, it was just awesome up in in, in Kentucky that's amazing and, that's which great. is even better my mom's from Kentucky and of course and it was just like fantastic unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> um, wow so uh, it's just again one of those things you know meeting John Prine sure Able to meet Emmy Lou along the way. I love that. I love the fact that you just keep calling her Emmy Lou. I mean, as though Emmy Lou, mm-hmm. you know, lives down on uh, Cedar Lane. We're talking about Emmy Lou Harris here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I just, everybody calls her Emmy uh, Lou. Well, Kate's going to be uh, singing uh, a John Prine song for us here in just a bit. But before we uh, get to the song, uh, I do have a couple more questions because I'm mean, I was really moved by some of the music. Uh, that I've been listening to uh, for, for you know for years that you have produced, and I, I was uh, really listening to it uh, preparing for the interview this week. And one of them, uh, going back to uh, the the influence of the civil rights movement in the South, uh, really centered on it's entitled "Cotton Field," uh, a cotton field away. And yeah. uh, talking about segregation, you begin that song with uh, first a quote by George Wallace and then a quote by mm-hmm. uh, Dr. King. And there's this moment, and I'm, I'm going to be really honest here. When I heard it, I mean, tears welled up in my eyes. And you talk about a black child's dreams are a cotton field away mm-hmm. while a white man prays, thanking God he's a cotton field away. And yeah. it's just that deep, div- that deep racial divide that not only permeated the Jim Crow South, but continues to permeate our culture today. That song is Uh just as important today as it was during the Civil Rights Movement. That's so crazy. You know, that tune is on the very first recording. Mm -hmm. But my whole life, even when I didn't even know what I was writing about, you know, like I said, I always, music was a way for me to have a conversation with, with my people where I lived, even as a you know child, I was writing songs when I was in you know elementary school and junior high. But a lot of them were like that, not even understanding at that point what I was doing. But um, it was a way for me to have this conversation. 
Right. And uh, Cotton Field Away just, I, I sometimes can't make it through the song to this, through this day. Cause it that is was so the first powerful. One. Yeah, that was the first one. And, and, then, uh, and then on Greensboro, yeah. on uh, the KOA oh, tapes, volume yeah. one, when you talk <laughs> about the ghosts coming out to defend their past, it was like, oh my gosh, those ghosts are still coming out today to defend this this egregious past trying to you know somehow defend racism or white supremacy i mean just your music just is so powerful well thank you like i said it's been a i feel like it's been one long conversation uh with myself and with god and with people particularly the people uh, from the south and where i come from which has been predominantly uh, Mississippi and Alabama and in Nashville, Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's just, I think it's the time that I grew up in and the age that I was. Mm-hmm. And Kate, I got one more question before Autumn asks you our uh, our question of the week. Uh, and it's a question that you pose in one of your songs uh, on the for the Living of These Days album. And it is, Would They Love Him Down in Shreveport? Uh, now, and we do have to, to, to tell listeners, it's not just Shreveport in the song. You take everybody across the country. Uh, but it's about would the, how would the church love Jesus today? Would they reject him uh, as uh, the religious leaders of the day rejected him over 2,000 years ago? So, Kate Campbell, well, I, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't write that song. Isn't that a great song? It's a great I song. I had to record it. As soon as I heard it, I, that's like one of the greatest songs ever. Um, mm-hmm. I um, Well, I think that that's you know, been going on for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that culture, I mean, I don't know if it's in the, I think possibly, you know, some of it's in, in the nature of humankind. Um, but, uh, you know, there were people who rejected Jesus or any, any you know, other person, historical people at different times, you know, they reject. Right. And um, so that song just, just brings it out, you know, I mean, that some people say they love Jesus, but they're not good to their neighbor. Sure. And that's like the greatest, you know, one of the greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's in every religion. Mm-hmm. Every religion is about respecting your neighbor. And so it's, it's very interesting. It's, I think we get so, um, it's so difficult. I mean, that's our greatest, <laughs> what we, you know, uh, we have the we have the capacity to love our neighbors. At the same time, you know, we I think all of human beings uh, we have you know it's about survival and it's um, people who are not like you or um, the only thing that you have is that you are not. I woke up that you are not uh, a Mexican or you are not um, a black person. Mm-hmm. or a poor person in the same way. But the only thing that you have, if you're a poor white person in the South, is that you're not black or another person of color. Mm. So, you know, it's always how can we, you know, well, the, I don't have this myth, but I, you know, I do have this. Right, sure. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, I guess it's been that way from the beginning of time. As, as we know it, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep thinking, wow, we're all in the same boat together. And, you know, coming back to this virus, 
We're all in the same boat together. I just hate to tell people. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Kate, you may be a singer-songwriter, you know but now you're just starting to preach. So, uh, know, <laughs> well done. You. I'm trying not to. But no, you know, you're doing great. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Keep it coming. That's you know, fantastic. The whole world. It's yeah. not just my neighborhood or the black community or right. the Vietnamese community down the road. It's all of us. We're all in the same boat. You can all get it. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, each and every week uh, on the podcast, we have a question that we pose to our guest. And uh, uh, depending on how lengthy your answer is, uh, then uh, we'll go right into uh, the song after your answer. So, Autumn, what is our question of the week? Well, I'm glad to finally get a word in. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you, you know, our sort of our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. And so we like to ask our guests on the podcast to let us know what your more to tell is. What do you think the world needs to know? Well, maybe you could just sing your more to tell. Yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be a good way. Well, this is a cool tune, you know, this is a tune that I wrote with Walt Aldridge, um, mm-hmm. And but it's the one that John Prime came and folks can look it up online too. You know, uh, all my music's out there with John singing with me. It's called Looking for Jesus. Uh-huh. And I remember the day that uh, Walt and I wrote this. He had uh, he like you know I like a lot of uh, I like rosaries. I like all kinds of, and I like outsider art or whatever. But we were in Walt's studio, and he had this really weird picture on the wall of, you know, it was like a picture. He said he got it out of a church uh, and he lives down in in, uh, Muscle Shoals and he just found it. He didn't find it like an antique or junk store, but it was just in some old church I think he told me. And there was this picture and he had it hanging there and we started talking about it and about you know how people, they just, you know, pictures of Jesus and they go to Rome mm-hmm. and they go to, yeah. and they just want to touch yeah. statues. Right. And, and this, I write about this kind of stuff all the time because it's so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. There's still, no matter, you know, where you are in the world or whatever, there are things that we just, you know, statues and Jesus and rosaries. And, and there's just something we just, we're looking for. We, we, we want to find, we want to believe. Right. That's that's and that's really what this song, you know, we want to believe somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. That kind of sets up the song, and I think that's what I've been saying. I have great, I have great hope for all of us, though. I love um, it. I do. Uh, so, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, without further ado, Kate Campbell's going to inspire us uh, in memory <laughs> of John Prine with her song "Looking for Jesus." Here we go. Let's see if I can do it. Saw it on the TV late last night. Digging a hole at another side. Trying to get the story just right. Looking for Jesus. Every day the bus is rolling, hoping to retrace its steps again. I 
Looking for Jesus. Kate Campbell, thank you so much. It was a delight to have you on the pod this week. We wish you nothing but the best and uh, hope uh, we get out of this and you're back on the road producing and uh, just continuing to entertain us all. Well, thank y'all and thanks for what you're doing with the podcast. Loving it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kate. Autumn, appreciate having another great show and uh, hope to see everybody and listen to everybody uh, next week. So this is uh, good faith weekly and we're signing off. Thanks. <laughs>